0: We make the assumption that I have these dreams, I have these plans, I have these ideas, I have these aspirations, I've got this education, that I just sort of dump them all before God and God is supposed to come along and translate all of that into reality. Where our source of fulfillment is not in the process, but it's in a person.
1: This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, today we begin a new series called The Pursuit of God's Heart. Well, it's true, we can easily get sidetracked into thinking that if we line up all of our dreams and wishes, God will grant them and bless them. But that's not what we see in God's interaction with His servants throughout the ages. A classic example is in David's life in 1 Samuel, and we'll be heading there in just a few moments. Today, Crawford will introduce the first of six segments to David's life, and hope you can study with us. If you're new to us, Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. His books include Unshaken, For a Time We Cannot See, and Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow. He now mentors those in Christian leadership through his organization Beyond Our Generation. Well, let's begin this study into David's life and see where we might gain a better understanding about what it means to pursue God's heart. Our text is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy.
0: I've entitled the message today, An Unlikely Choice, An Unlikely Choice, but I want to back up a little bit and set this up. I could spend probably the better part of a year talking about David and the implications of his life, David is a towering figure in the Bible, a towering figure in Scripture. But we're not going to do that. we we'll has been about six or seven messages on, on the life of, of David. But as you back up, uh, the, what, what anchors his life is this an amazing statement that God himself makes about David. Acts 13, this, there's this astonishing statement that God himself makes about David contrasting him with Saul, God himself says, for I have found in David a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now, I've heard it said, and I've struggled with this a number of years ago. We we say, well, you hear that David is a man after God's heart. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's heart? Well, if you look at the rest of the verse, the verse tells you what it means. The verse tells you what it means to be a person, or a man, or a woman after God's heart. For he says, I have found in David a man after my own heart who will do all my will. To be a person that is pursuing God's heart means that we are in pursuit of him. We're passionate about God, and we're passionate about his purposes for our lives. Our lives are defined by the pursuit of God and the pursuit of his purposes. And I gotta tell you, listen to me closely here, I gotta tell you, I think so many people struggle with the lack of fulfillment, the lack of significance, and the lack of satisfaction because they've made the wrong assumptions about their lives and about how God relates to their lives. We make the assumption that I have these dreams, I have these plans, I have these ideas, I have these aspirations, I've got this education, I have these thoughts, that I just sort of dump them all before God and God is supposed to come along and translate all of that into reality. No, your passion and pursuit has been on these set of assumptions that I need to be here, I need to have this, I need to go here, I need to accomplish this and this kind of thing, so then when it doesn't happen, I don't feel fulfilled. Well, our source of fulfillment is not in the process, but it's in a person our source of fulfillment is not in a process it's not even in our dreams our source of fulfillment is in a person and that person's plans for my life so to be a person after god's own heart means that i am passionately relentlessly pursuing god and his plan for my life thus my passion and prayer for this series the goal for this series I don't know how else to say it—is that God would light a fire under some of us, that we, we will not be lazy, complacent, cultural Christians, but that we will run after God and his plan and purposes for our lives. For that is a place of joy. That is a place of fulfillment. That is a place of power. And that's where, where we need to be. Now, I need to state the obvious, that David was not a perfect person. We know that David screwed up, screwed up royally, and yet God still called him. God eulogized David. God still called him a person of his own heart. You know that David committed murder. David committed adultery. And while we're at it, let's throw lying and deception in there too. The whole cover-up deal. Yes, dear David, He did that. And yet God still calls him a man after his heart. Why, Why does he still call him that? This gives all of us hope because David repented. David, even in the midst of his failure, kept running toward and stumbling toward God. He kept responding to God. He kept pursuing his heart, even in the midst of all of that. Now, in order to appreciate David's life, and I know that some of us, you know, uh, we know these things, but David's life is in six segments, I would say. As I've kind of read through his life, it's in these six segments. The first segment, this is what we're really going to talk about today. Uh, and by the way, these six segments are not necessarily the, the titles of the messages, but these are the six segments of David's life. The first segment is anointed and appointed by God, marked by God. The second segment of his life is what I call the dark night of the soul where David ran from Saul for 16 years hiding out in caves and in the wilderness, fleeing for his very, very life. And parenthetically, let me just say, this is obvious. The reason why that's in the book, I'm so glad it's in the book, is that to pursue God's purposes and plan for your life does not mean the avoidance of of adversity and suffering. It could mean to ask for that because it is better for us to go through that so that God will truly mark our character with what he's all about. So David goes through the dark night of the soul. The third segment in his life is that he's enthroned. He's placed on the throne, and he's instituted there, and that's where he becomes the most powerful, revered king in Israel's history. But then fourthly, there's failure. Failure in David's life, where he yields to sin and all that mess that comes with it. And so we see failure, and God doesn't sugarcoat it, and we're gonna get to that. He doesn't sugarcoat what David does. And then number five, There are consequences, that's the fifth segment of his life. For the rest of David's life, he was was plagued by the consequences of his sin. You know, we can choose our sin, but you can't choose your consequences. You can choose what you sin, but you can't choose your consequences. Yes, God had forgiven David, yes, God was merciful, but this is what we have to understand. God will forgive us, God will cleanse us, but there are unintended consequences from choices that once you do something, it is out there. And so David experiences this, these consequences. And then the last part of his life, the last bit of his life, as David is dying, there is a transfer of power. So that's where David, David is. All right, let's start at the beginning here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Where did he find David? I mean, just what's going on? Where is this dude? How does he get to the scene? Now, I know some of you are going to judge me here, and I'm going to have to turn to my man card when I make this revelation here. I and mean, I wrestle with whether or not I should do this. But don't judge me. I really love Cinderella. <laughs> I don't judge me. For those of you who are saying, oh, no. Well, I know you cry at Father of the Bride, too. So <laughs> don't, don't get on me about that. I, I, I love this story of Cinderella. I just, I just, you know, ain't no dudes in it other than the prince. I got that. And it's about, you know, these kind of like dysfunctional women that whatever. But my, in fact, it was while, I was, while I was on the study leave, we, uh, our, our daughter, our granddaughter, uh, Lonnie, she's 10. Uh, we were able to see her in Nashville at our school. She, she was one of the narrators of the play, Cinderella. And I was like, ooh, good, good, good. a chance to see this. Well, everybody loves a rags-riches story. And the reason why we're drawn to Cinderella is because that's what she she was messed over, overlooked, it's uh, sort of like the flunky of the household and all that. And so everybody loves the rags to riches story. You know what has been my experience? The truth of the matter is that, that, that uh, a lot of the well-known people or successful people I've ever met in my life, and, and this, is, this would be true of you too, a lot of the successful, visible people that you meet right now, a good percentage of them, I'd say the majority of them, did not come from blue blood backgrounds. And we wanna, we, 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 wanna, we wanna take a snapshot of where they are right now, but we don't wanna go back and see how they got there. Many or most of these folk, folks came from obscure beginnings. You know, we celebrate Chick-fil-A, which is an ama- one of the greatest companies in America today. Unbelievable company. And we look at Truett Cathy and what he's accomplished. Do you know anything about Truett Cathy? Do you know where he came from? Everybody wants to celebrate what they've accomplished and where they are. you know anything about the pain in his family? you know anything about the struggles? Why did God bless him? That's right, he honored God. It was this. And when you look at where he came from and you look at where this, you know, company is today you scratch your hands out what there are a lot of folks like that and so as we look at the nation of israel and we look at king david you know you don't take a snapshot of david at which he arrived and then all of a sudden you say this is what i need to be this is where i need to start no you got to start where he started this is unbelievable a little bit of context here, Uh, there's this flow, and I don't have time to read verses 1 through 13, and so I'm just going to walk through the text itself. I won't read it in advance, but the story unfolds itself, this process where God commissions Samuel to go find the next king of Israel. And this process is given to us in four steps. So let me just give you the steps of the process, and then we'll put some meat on the skeleton. The first step in the process is what I call rejection, and I'll unpack that in a moment. Rejection, and then there's invitation, and then there's selection, and then there's confirmation. So there's rejection, invitation, selection, and confirmation. First, there is rejection. God slams the door on Saul. No other way of putting it. God says, I'm done with him. He's over. This is it. This is a straw that broke the camel's back. Let's, let's look at verse, verse 1. Listen to what he says. <laughs> the Lord is clear and succinct in verse 1 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now, to give me a little backstory here, this comes on the heels of what took place in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul had this dastardly habit that irritated God. Terrible habit that irritated God. You know, God does not do disobedience real well. And Saul had this bad habit of partially, kinda, sort of obeying God. Some of you remember the story when Saul's in Gilgal, he's waiting for Samuel to come, he wants to go out to battle, Samuel's a little late in showing up, but before he got out to battle, the priest should offer up sacrifice, and Saul was king, he wasn't a priest, so Saul wouldn't wait and trust God until Samuel got there, so he said, hey, you know what, you know what, hey, I, I can burn some animals. So he does a sacrifice and Samuel shows up and God gets ticked and rebukes Saul. The final opportunity is over here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and God told him to destroy the Amalekites and do not take the spoil and kill King Agag. You got it? Clear? What is it that you don't understand about what I just said to you? Don't take the spoil, zero, and kill the king. What does he do? He takes the spoil and the bad thing about it, when Samuel shows up, Saul lies, and as he's lying through his teeth, hears in the background <laughs> Some of the spoil. Where's the king? Agad, they can kill the king. God God speaks through Samuel, tells him that uh, this is the last straw. And you read the last couple of verses in chapter 15. It says, then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to the house of Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord, this is an amazing line. This is a terrible line. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's a a terrible statement there, Jack. God regretted. So, what do we have here? Well, God had permitted the people to have a king of their own choice. God never chose Saul. The people pressured. So God said, okay, have at it. Saul was the people's choice, but he wasn't God's. Now I could get off into this, but we need to be very careful about your assumptions and your conclusions and your choices and asking God to sanctify what, he, what is not right. He didn't make that decision. He didn't make that choice. You decided to go in that direction. God didn't call you in that direction. God didn't lead you in that direction. But you, you, you said, no, this looks, I'm going to do this. And now you want to, hey, God, come over here. Will you make this right? Saul's work for God had ended. But God's work would go on. And so that's what God was saying to Samuel. Samuel, come here. Stop your grieving. I'm on to the next thing. I'm on to the next thing, Samuel, stop your grieving. Yeah, this is over, this is done with, but my work is not done with. And by the way, don't let your disappointment in a person or a man in a church or in a leader make you stop following God. You see, the the point is this, people fail, God doesn't fail. God doesn't fail, people fail. And stop blaming God for some of his idiot children. You don't blame him for the idiot stuff that we do. It's people that fail. God does not fail. And so he says, okay, this process begins with the understanding that I've closed the door on Saul. I've rejected him, and I'm on to the next thing. You either catch up with me or I'll find me another prop- prophet who will. So we go from uh, rejecting to invitation. What does he tell him to do? Well, back in verse one, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. This is amazing. He begins by really bolstering Samuel's confidence and courage. Now, I've got a plan, Samuel. God always has a plan. I've got a plan. You don't know what the plan is, but I know what the plan is. Um, one of the things I have learned the hard way in all my years of ministry and in leadership, one of the things I've learned in a painful way, so don't take the whooping that I've taken on this, is you got to be very careful of outlining your plan and then giving it to God and asking him to make it his plan. You, you be careful of that. You know, don't, don't, don't just make assumptions about God, sit down in some uh, boardroom and whiteboard the thing out and talk to people and get the insights, this kind of thing, and come up with a plan in the beginning, and you need to say, God bless this plan. No, I think you, to say, you, have, you need to ask God, God, what is your plan? How do you want to do this thing here? How do you want us to proceed? And so God says to Samuel, look, I've got a plan here. I've prepared someone. And so I don't want you to get your little profits together and your little crop profit consortium and and cohort and you share and have best practices and talk about it. Now you might do that later on but buddy I got a plan. So what I need you to do, you need to listen to me and follow each step along this plan. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you until it's time to tell you who it is that I'm choosing. But I've got a plan. God always has a plan. By the way, Jesse was a grandfather. That's his, this is David's father. Jesse was a grandson of Ruth and Boaz. So it was in the line of the promise. But what are you trying to say? Well, David was not an afterthought to God. King David was not an afterthought. It wasn't a, oops, Saul failed. What are we going to do now? Okay, let's so find David. I think he'd be a good one. No, that was never an afterthought. David was God's intention before the foundation of the world. He had set this thing up. Jesse, Jesse was in line, the line of the Messiah. And Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. Amazing. God knows what he is doing. But there's a little bit of a problem here, though. See, Samuel knew what God told him to do, but he also understood that uh, Saul was a certifiable wild man. He was crazy, we're gonna see this later on as we go through the series, Saul was nuts. I mean, he was full of himself. You, you gotta understand that this, this man's ego, Saul's ego drove everything. Anything that made him look bad, he would try to squelch it or kill it. It was a threat to him. Parentheses, always watch a leader who leads too much with his ego and the need for affirmation. And this is, this is Saul. And, and, and so, so, so Samuel says, uh, you know, I, I'm not basically a fearful person, but I know that he's crazy. And so listen to what he says here in verse, uh, verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And, uh, and so forth. And so he, he, he says, okay, look, 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 look. If I go down here, Saul's going to know that, that I'm absent. And so my actions would be viewed as a threat to his claim to the throne. You know, he knows that you told me to tell him that God has rejected him as king. And you do know how big this sucker's ego is. So what do you think's going to happen to me? If I'm not around, and he starts asking questions, where did Samuel go? Well, you know, God is not into lying or this kind of thing, obviously, but God does mask the purpose of the trip by telling him, okay, I'll tell you what to do. Just take a heifer. You are a priest, right? Take a heifer and go and sacrifice. And somebody asks you what you can do, and I'm going down here to sacrifice. And you are. So that's what he does. There is protection that God provides for Samuel. Uh, and I just have to tell you this if god's called you to do something don't cave into the fear he's going to protect you if god called you to do something that's all you need to know you just need to have the confidence to know that god called you to do it and do not allow fear to stop you god says look i'm calling you to do this would i send you out there without me being with you would i would i not promise my presence with you some of you need to hear this today there are things that God wants you to do, but you're afraid. You're afraid of the finances. You're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid of what people might think about you. You're afraid about making that change. You're afraid about this. You're afraid about that. You're afraid about this. But you do know that God called you to do it.
1: Crawford Lorenz here on Living a Legacy. And Crawford is setting up this series called The Pursuit of God's Heart. And we're going to be learning some lessons from the life of David in 1 Samuel. Crawford has outlined six segments of David's life that we can benefit from. The first segment, David was marked by God to be king. And more about that next week. Hope you'll be back. What better place to be than gathered around God's Word to learn some very important lessons for life. Please take a few moments to let us know how these messages are helping you gain traction in the study of God's Word. To email directly, send to legacyatmoody.edu, legacy Moody.edu. Living a Legacy messages can be heard again on our website, or you can download them to your phone or computer for free. They're great for long road or airline trips, or use them for a neighborhood Bible study. Start with livingalegacy.org. Next week, it's part two of this message, An Unlikely Choice, and we'll look for you right here. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for studying with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.